Dave Hill is a comedian, writer, and musician. After playing in bands and getting a record deal, his sister, a journalist, helped him break into the writing field. But he realized early on that really he only enjoyed writing jokes. He drifted from Cleveland, Ohio to New York City, where he continued to write freelance pieces while also starting to contribute to TV shows. He then landed his own show, The King of Miami, and later his first book deal with St. Martin's Press. There's more to Dave's story, of course, which is why you're going to listen to today's podcast. But you should know that at the center of his process is a commitment to creative play, staying in the flow, and seeing what happens. To learn more, be sure to listen to today's episode of the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. In exchange for your support on Patreon, you'll receive monthly one-on-one sessions with yours truly. I'm a certified master life coach, and I've worked with best-selling authors, award-winning filmmakers, and everything in between. Help fund the show today and get the support you need to take the next step forward on your own unique journey as a storyteller. Again, visit patreon.com forward slash Ethan Frackleton. All right, enough with that. On to today's show. You know, if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's really all I want to do is have snacks with my girlfriend and play with the dog. Really, and everything else is bonus content. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, well, let's try this again. Welcome sure. to the podcast. I guess anybody who watches the video will see the whole thing. But for the yeah, I mean, I did folks. shower, so might as well give me it too. give it to them. Yeah. Uh-huh. Give it to them. Well, for people who don't know you. Um, what would you like to share about yourself? I am Dave Hill. I'm a comedian, writer, uh, musician, actor sometimes. I have a podcast. I'm easily distracted um, into just, I just do the things I like and I'm lucky enough that uh, I've turned them into my living uh, Basically, I think by being uh, ill-suited for any... I need to shut the door. The dog is misbehaving. Oh, yeah. um, okay. Just in the, getting scolded. Right, just cool. such. That's all right. Right now I've got a guy spraying pesticide poison right outside the door, <laughs> the door mm. window right here. <laughs> Smiling and waving. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I do those things, and I kind of... Uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough that uh, I've been able to to make it my living. And I guess I'm, at this point in my life, closer to death than I am to birth. And I'm just hoping to keep going, you know, doing mm. the things that I enjoy. Mm. Well, that's um, that's, that's my way. story. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a mix of stuff and professionally and mm-hmm. maybe an entry question then is like, what was the first thing? Well, I think, I mean, you know, probably me, I mean, not to really just sound like a whatever, but, uh, I was originally like a visual artist and that's what I wanted to do. Mm. And uh, I'm kind of getting back to that now mm. with the pandemic and some space to do a lot more artwork. So maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe I'll just go go that route. Um, who knows? But uh, I, then, you know, I started playing in bands in my teens. And then I was, I was like, I'm just going to rock people. As, as any, you know, when you're young and you have a band... Uh, that's the plan is to rock the people. So I did that and, and then, you know, had a little bit of success, got a record deal after college with my friends and our band that we had and Mm. toured around, had a video on MTV in the middle of the night and things like that. And then that kind of ran its course as those things often do. Mm -hmm. And I went back to doing art. And then eventually drifted into writing from there, just as a result of being on the computer, and uh, um, uh, just started typing, and uh, <laughs> I grew from there. And I got into writing, and I've always acted like a complete idiot. So mm. from there, I drifted into you know comedy and you know what 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 acting or on camera stuff. I uh, the president of show business allows me to do (laughs) so what happened with the writing like when you sat down and started and started writing what was what was going on there well it was uh i was living with my sister at the time uh when this you know in the 90s late 90s and i was sort of trying to figure out what to do with my life and my sister's a journalist and we we share um you know it was like we got the aol software not to brag but we got the disc you know and we got the internet (laughs) at her house and we didn't know that you anyone would have more than one email address we thought oh that's like a landline right you just have an email address for the house so we shared an email address and as a result we would be just reading each other's messages like you would listen to the answering machine And be like, oh, hey, you got an email from this person. So we were just fully reading each other's emails. And she started reading my email for fun. I wasn't saying anything of great importance. Just silliness, you know. And she's like, oh, you know, you should maybe think about doing some writing. And she got me into... She was at the Cleveland Plain Dealer at the time. And she got me into some writer's meetings. And I wrote some sort of human interest type you know i did went to like a civil war reenactment i went to karaoke you know kind of light human interest mm-hmm. uh you know there's a new chicken wing restaurant you got to try that yeah. sort of thing and in doing that you know i thought oh maybe i could be a journalist or something and uh, i realized that i really only liked writing jokes and you know, kind of, I didn't really care about reporting and things Mm. like that. I just wanted to write something entertaining. You know, I wasn't the journalist 
I wasn't, didn't care too much about that. I mean, I had adhered to the rules of journalism, which I think is not done so much anymore. Uh, you know, adhering yeah. to facts and fact checking yeah. and things, things that old men like me, uh, learned, um, about the fourth estate. Uh, you remember hearing that term, the fourth estate? I don't think so. That what was, is that? That was what journalism was called, at least in journalism theory, in the, oh, in the 20th I'm a, I'm century. A, you know. Oh, I mean, all I ever, I never studied journalism. I just learned it. From, you know, I started writing for The Plain Dealer, and then I wrote yeah. for Salon and... That sounds like a lesson for college kids who might be listening right there. Yeah, so get on it. <laughs> Just have your sister get you in. You know, that's, that's the way. Skip. Yeah. Yeah. And so, she was a great help, and you know, saw that maybe I had this ability, and encouraged me, and and I think I saw that it was an opportunity to have some freedom because mm. I was getting freelance work and. I realized, well, if I don't, I don't, if I can do this freelance writing, I don't have to paint houses anymore, you know, mm-hmm. and didn't want to do that. And so I started, you know, cold, not calling, I would just email websites, mm. you know, I would email salon, I email just whoever had an email address on their website and magazines. And I started writing for whoever would let me. Mm. And I wrote a few pieces for Salon. And then it kind of, you know, I started writing for a TV show. Fortunately, I think a key, if I can tell, say anything to yeah. the youth, the youths, is that um, it's good when your friends have their act together and have jobs and they can hire you. So I was fortunate that, you know, I had friends working in television. Mm. I got hired to write for a show on HBO called Reverb. They just needed kind of interstitial things and things for the website. I did that about 20 years ago. Mm. And um, and then from that, uh, I would just started drifting around, honestly, because I was making a little bit of money enough to, you know, Cleveland, I had an apartment above a hair salon for 450 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I can do this from anywhere, anywhere that has a dial-up modem. I'm in. And so I started spending more time in New York where I had gone to college at Fordham in the Bronx. And uh, I was there visiting and a buddy of mine, John Kimbrough, was doing the music for a show called Crash Test on Spike TV. And he said, you know, I'm working on this show. You should go in to the writers meetings because they did these weekly. They had staff writers, but then they had like weekly you know, things where the where writers could come in and just pitch jokes based on, you know, what directives were there. And so I started doing that, never telling them that I lived in Cleveland because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I'm not a guy who, move, you know, does anything with uh, packing and things. I mean, I've moved several times in the last few years. I almost really had nothing to do with any of it. I mean, I went, I was in New York with a duffel bag and, uh, I went to these meetings and I would, you know, at, you'd get 200 bucks for the meeting. And that was enough for me to fly on to New York, to the Islip station on Long Island and back. I would go into New York, go to the meeting and be like, and they'd be like, can you come back next Thursday? And sure thing. I'd fly back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I just never mentioned that I lived 500 miles away 
or whatever, 450. And eventually one day they were like, can you just start full time Wednesday? <laughs> so I was like, okay, sure. And I, fortunately, my friend Jason, unfortunately for him at the time, but he and his girlfriend were splitting up and he needed a place to live. And I said, well, I'll just mail you my keys. And he moved into my place, fully furnished. My underwear was there. He was all set. And so I stayed in New York and I wrote on this TV show. And that eventually got canceled. Mm. And I started kind of, okay, now what? Wrote for some TV at VH1. I wrote, started freelancing, wrote for the New York Times. And, you know, whoever else some guitar magazines. I mean, I wrote for, I wrote for XXL, a hip hop magazine. I'm a fan of hip hop, but don't consider myself knowledgeable or qualified. You know, it wouldn't be my first area to be like, yeah, let's have Dave write about that. You know, I know about guitars. I know about puppies, you know, those are my areas of expertise, but I all by way of saying, I would just write for anyone that would, would have me do it. And I would do the best job I could. And I, you know, kind of, then I, during this time, I got hired to, and tell me to shut up at any point. No, this is great. Um, I got hired to write for a show called Smoking Gun TV on Court TV as a writer. And by that time, I'd sort of started screwing around with video in my apartment in New York and... I brought it to the first writer's meeting and was like, oh, I have this tape of me being stupid. Mm. Here you go. And they hired me to be on the show. Mm. Uh, So I started doing some on-camera stuff. And I kept writing for TV. This is all, you know, in the course of of a year or two of being in New York. And and then uh, I was at VH1 again, and my office mate, Tony Carnavale, changed my life by... You know, he said, I have a show on the Lower East Side. You know, would you want to do some, you know, perform on that? So I did. And that's how I started performing on stage. And sort of during that time, you know, I just meeting, you know, I would say like I'm a good example of, a, you know, someone that you just move to New York or something and you're just going to meet more people who are doing the things that you're interested in, you know, when I was living in Cleveland, there was a couple writers, um, Michael Heaton and Eric Broder, who I really looked up to their columns in the Cleveland Plain Dealer and the Cleveland Free Times respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I knew like two guys, three guys, four guys who were writers, but you go to New York and all of a sudden I'm, you know, uh, who's this guy? You know, granted, I was very lucky to meet people. I met, you know, I met David Rakoff early on and became friendly with him, mm. Malcolm Gladwell, people that were doing the things that I dreamed of doing, you know, and yeah. they were just my friend's friends, you know. So things seemed like, oh, I, mean, I could, you know, these weren't ideas anymore. They were like, oh, these guys are sitting here and they're doing the things that I want to do, you know? Yeah. So from that, you know, I started doing this American life and, uh, some, some point at say around this time, maybe like 2007, uh, I got contact. I'm, I realize as I'm talking, you know, 
I've been very lucky in, you know, being friends with some of his friends with famous authors. And yeah. I got an eight, my agent, still my agent for, for books anyway, um, wrote me out of the blue. He had read an article I wrote and, you know, it was like, you know, I think you should write a book. And he really, I didn't know what I wanted to write a book about. And he stayed with me for, you know, from when we first met to when the first book came out in 2012, probably, you know, five years. And it just encouraged me. And I, I was I was writing like a page a day in a blog, mm. or not a blog, I would say, in, in my on my desktop, a Word document. Mm-hmm. And I just gave him that, and I was, you know, and he's like, well, it seems like you're into animals, and you like, <laughs> you know... Anyway, trying so, to find trying to find a north star. <laughs> yeah, see what is the book going to be about, you know? Yeah. And so, because he's like, you know, we we have to save that what this book is. And I was like, <laughs> well, can't I just write a book and I'll just say that's the book is whatever I feel like writing. Yeah. And he's like, no. Uh, <laughs> so I put, you know, I had a vague idea of what the book would be about. And had some sample, I think I wrote three sample essays and sort of realized out of the theme what the theme of that was sort of prolonged adolescence and reluctance to grow up and, well, it's redundant, I guess, but, and I mean, uh, you know, and then, so he's like, oh, next time you do this American Life, get Ira to say that you are writing a book and looking for a publisher and as I'm telling you these things, I realize that this is, I'm very lucky. Uh, and so I did a show. It was a live recording. And I had Iris. I said, hey, can you say this at the end when I'm done? <laughs> <laughs> and, or in the beginning or whatever. And I did that show. And I walked out of the dressing room. And uh, my first editor, Allison Strobel from St. Martin's Press, was there. And she said, oh, let's do a book. So, uh, met with them and talked to a few other publishers and I ended up doing my first book for St. Martin's. Hmm. She left, uh, hopefully not having anything to do with working with me. Uh, she left to go, uh, into another career. And then, uh, one of my friends from college turned into my new editor. She was already at the company, Hmm. Kathy Huck. And so I was there. I did the first book there, and then, then I went over to Blue Rider Press for a book, and part of Penguin. And then the third book is was still part of Penguin, but it was about Canada, so it was done through Doubleday Canada. And I'm just sort of throwing random information at you as it's occurring to me. Well, you know, it's a winding journey, and I'm getting a sense that like there's a common theme. Was what you what you stated is you just write for whoever you could, and yeah. It sounded like it sounds to me like you made an effort to be in community and, and connected and yeah, you know. Like, I think did you that... go in like when you started going to New York and like did you when did I guess this is probably the better question then like. Did you ever have this conscious moment, like epiphany, like, hey, if I'm going to, like, 
like it benefits me to be in community with people who are doing what I want to do. I think I realized it pretty quickly, you know, mm -hmm. seeing how rapidly my life was changing. Not that it was all smooth sailing. I definitely like, you know, parts I'm leaving out of this are, you know, being super broke at times and having bill collectors, credit card companies call my parents' house back in Cleveland being like, mm -hmm. where's our money? I don't know, like, why they, why uh, it's a thug calling from Visa in my way to tell the story. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Give me the money. Uh, or or turf your lawn. Um, so, and you know, my, my mother, I, they wanted me to get a life coach at one point, and I agreed to it because I thought that sounded funny, and I could probably write about it, which I did. Did you? I in, did. in my second book. I want to hear it. It gave this. me a whole chat, uh, essay in my second book. Yeah. Dave Hill doesn't live here anymore. Hmm. And, but yeah, no, I think, I think that's a really big part of it is, 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 is just, yeah, being, finding people who, who are doing the things you want to do and the people, obviously, you know, being in New York, you, you kind of, it's a lot of like, um, people like myself sort of, I mean, I realize I'm a cliche, just sort of liberal, uh, writer, musician guy, you know, uh, and yet who, you're the first one on the podcast. I know the first, probably no you're, one like you're me setting the mold. Um, but yeah, just kind of, you know, being in, I mean, you know, New York, you, it's, uh, it's easy to find like-minded people in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, so because, you know, uh, New York is full of people who fled other places mm -hmm. to get away from the people that weren't like them and find people that are like, I mean, that's the beauty of New York and many places, I think, is, mm -hmm. you know, is, is you're there for to find this sort of kinship or whatever, find people that are like you. Um, and... Yeah, I think I recommend it. I mean, I w would half-jokingly tell people that were looking to get work or get something going, you know, if you don't have a job or just go out every night, you know. Go, if someone's like, hey, let's go out, just go out. Not to schmooze because I'm the worst at schmoozing. Mm -hmm. I hate it. It's why I live in New York as opposed to Los Angeles, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I Even though, you know, I'm giving into cliche but i think you know la is obviously more show busy and the hey what's going on we should work together but i'm more like you like pizza i like pizza and then <laughs> uh it's maybe why my career is where it is i don't know um, you like pizza? i like pizza no for you know for better or for worse but uh yeah i just think it's good and for someone like me who you know i i think i felt very alone. I mean, I certainly align myself with similar people in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And I think working in the arts or any creative field is more, is easier now than it was 20 years ago anywhere, you know, thanks mm -hmm. to the internet, as much as I hate the internet, um, even though we're using it right now. Yeah. <laughs> I complain all the time and I'm on it all the time. So, oh, here's my dog. Uh, 
you know, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't say to someone like, oh, you got to move to the city or whatever. I think you can kind of do anything from anywhere. But even, you know, like Cleveland, for example, and I love Cleveland with the exception of the weather, um, it is, you know, I, I had never done comedy here until actually around when my first book came out because I was so mortified at the idea of my parents coming to see me. And so I was just never did it. And then, you know, once I had some sort of, I hate to say a name, but, you know, people who had some awareness of me, they would ask me to do stuff. So I started doing it and, you know, quickly met a lot of like-minded people here I never knew before, you know. Mm. And now I have a community. I'm here. I'm here. I'm in Ohio right now Okay. for a bit. Uh, my girlfriend and I are helping out her mother during the plague here. Yeah. The plague everywhere, I should say. And uh, so now I have a nice community of people here. Same thing of, of like-minded, uh, you know, basically just found the same same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same liberal nerds as I've become friends with in New York. Uh, uh, no, you know, just people in comedy and stuff, things like yeah. that, people doing doing things. So, But, I, you know, I think the beauty of it now, I think it is easier c- to connect with people and find people that are into the same stuff you're into, whether writing music or whatever creative thing you're up to. Mm-hmm. You can kind of find each other all over the world even now. I mean, it go, you know, I could talk about this all day, but it's like, you know, when I started going to London, I had a community there kind of right away because, you know, my friends in New York, you know, for example, you know, in the earlier days of Twitter when it was pleasant, mm. I'm not even on Twitter anymore. Yes. Um, I was permanently banned from Twitter. What? <laughs> for insulting um, Trump supporters with like fifth grade mother jokes, you know, cause I, uh, uh-huh. you know, they would, they would see me, I would respond to, I, I'm not a fan of Trump or any, anything he stands for. I, as shocking as that may seem by looking at me. Yeah. Um, but I would say things, you know, respond to his bullshit and and then Trump supporters would insult or threaten me or whatever and I would I would respond with like you know one I think the reason I got kicked off is uh Trump supporter called me an idiot and I said I'm not an idiot but I am stupid for your mother's butthole <laughs> I'm sorry to bring this juvenile talk to your show uh but that was the joke is I was just being a child and i thought who would argue with a child (laughs) you know but they did anyway um band huh yeah but best thing that ever happened to me honestly i bet that shifted the energy in your your yeah you get two i mean i I recommend it to anybody because it frees up two hours in your day yeah once you get rid of that uh for me you must you must have been aware of like the emotional toll it had being on there all the time i would I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I... No, certainly, you know, I yeah. I tend to think, you know, social media in general is pretty horrible. I mean, there's good aspects of it, 
but I think most of it is horrible and I wish it didn't exist. Even as I, you know, use it for my career, but, you know, sometimes I wonder what the point of it is, even for that. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm honestly just posting pictures of toast most of the time anyway. Um, but in the early, anyway, all by way of saying, you know, in the early days of it, in the 2000s, mid 2000s, I would, you know, post my jokes and things. And um, the guys from The Onion, hmm. who were based in New York at the time, you know, wrote to me and said, oh, like, you know, you should come to our parties. We have these cocktail parties every weekend, every Friday or whatever. So they invited me to that. So all of a sudden, um, you know, I knew those guys and then I was going to London to do my first ever stand-up shows and they mm. said, oh, well, you know, if you're in London, you should call, you know, these guys, Peter Serafinowicz and and uh, Robert Popper and, you know, whoever else they're buddies with. So I went there and I instantly had a community there. So all by way of saying, you know, but I think all of these things were, you know, granted the internet was super helpful, but was really about like meeting people and you know that's why i think you know with this talk of like oh what are we going to go back to at the other side of the pandemic you know are we all just going to live wherever we want and mm-hmm. we'll all just zoom till the end of our days you know i don't think that'll be the case because i think really you know life is is about being in a room together and yeah. and uh enjoying cheese or whatever you want together you know i think this is a nice (laughs) little uh thing to get us through now but i think in the future we'll want to get back to that i hope yeah but i think we will i think you know because i i really think you know it just really comes down to it i i this isn't my you know i know jerry seinfeld wrote a thing i think in the times about you know people saying oh new york's over and he was saying like New York's not over like London's not going to be over Tokyo's not going to be over because you know people want to be together and like that's why Silicon Valley of all places doesn't need to exist because those people if anyone can figure out how to be work from anywhere it's them but they're still not now but you know they're still there so I think that was a good example plus I also think you know or creatures of habit. And I think one of the biggest things of why the pandemic has been at even worse is because as humans, we're just trying to get back to normal. So as a result, yeah. people are like, come over for dinner, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it just perpetuates itself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think when this is over, people will be like, uh, let's all be together again. Yeah, I think that's just my theory. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm I just, suspect you're. I'm just driving all right. over in my mental golf cart. <laughs> well, I mean, if I didn't have the podcast, I don't know what I would be doing for for social. Yeah, you know, because I'm generally antisocial, but I like to be antisocial in public. You know, like go to cafes yeah. and generally allow one human being to talk to me at a time, and you know, this is great for that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, there's some, I mean, there is something, yeah, it's just, there's a DJ 
uh, a musician, a fa- famous musician who DJs quite a bit in normal times around New York. Like mm. it's like anytime you turn around, like this guy. I just don't want to say who it is because I don't want to speak for anybody. Mm. But I, you know, I know guys who are friends with this guy, and I was like, why is he DJing any anywhere? There's a DJ. It seems like he's the DJ. Yeah. And they're like, well, he likes to go out and be at the thing, but he doesn't really like to talk to people. Not that he's standoffish, but they're like, he just, he's a shy guy. He just kind of likes to be in the room with all the people. Yeah. But if he DJs, he can just be behind the thing and be quiet and just sort of take it all in. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's kind of beautiful, actually. Yeah, that is. And I've got this word written down because... It's something I wanted to discuss with you because in your journey, you know, the the part we kind of gloss over is with write, both writing and writing comedy and doing social media and acting. Um, mm-hmm. There's this element of exposure, right, and, and vulnerability, and yeah, like, like like how have you how have you dealt with that? Like, did you have a struggle with it? Uh, you know, I don't know. Simple thing would be like, oh, I'm a Gemini. So part of me loves him, part of me hates it. But I think in general, I hate it. You know, I want to feel valid and like anyone, I want to feel appreciated and loved and adored and these things. And, you know, but I, I really just like being creative and I like, I like the things that I do. But, you know, the audience of of it all is part of part of it. You know, you can't you. You know, certainly you can write more behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe my the part of me that really wants attention is not, you know, I occasionally will write on a television show and be in the writer's room now. Um, but in general, like I'm more don't really enjoy that too much of being in a room with a bunch of people and uh, I like to collaborate, but I'm more like into like, let's crap. What are you and I going to come up with? What are, you know, not like what one idea does 10 or 15 people have and we'll cobble. I'm more, you know, I like, I mean, I'm, this is maybe not the best analogy, but creatively, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of orchestras. I'm, I like chamber music, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's more like a, a small amount of musicians mm-hmm. translating, working together to, to bail out the boat, as Mike Watt used to say, mm-hmm. um, if you know him. Yeah. Uh, I was in a band. Cobra Verde that toured with him a couple times and uh, he used to say stuff like that because he had a trio and he would say oh we gotta bail out the boat you know because it's like you just have bass guitar and drums mm-hmm. you don't have a keyboard player you don't have a second yeah, guitar yeah. yeah so I feel the same way about generally about collaborations I think it's more fun to really you know, work with one or two other people and just kind of be like, what are we going to do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, was, like with comedy, right? There's this 
you know, in theory, comedy is like a mix of the truth with pain, right? Yeah. And so I've heard you when I was researching, like, kind of treat the same event in different ways, like the full-on comedy performance version of an event, and then kind of behind the scenes, like, there's truth to it, right? And, like, what is it like in that process like what are you thinking when you're writing and then performing stuff that has this basis in reality and probably real pain right or yeah i mean if you're you know if you're referring to you know i've talked quite a bit about my mom dying you know both on stage and in my books and you know i'll talk about real things but i also talk about completely ridiculous things and Sometimes I can't really make sense, you know, like, is this going to work in a show together, a true story? Uh, that's very, I mean, I talk about all sorts of true things, and I, everything on stage is, that comes from uh, uh, the origin is always true, you know, inspired by something that actually happened, and then, but for me, it's fun to 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 take it to the most ridiculous place I can mm-hmm. and just be ridiculous and absurd and and hopefully have people have fun enjoy that um but but usually there's a kernel you know there's a thing you people can watch on then then I did sound like I said you people I didn't say you people I said people <laughs> I just heard it back as like, it sounds like there's a thing you people there's a thing people can watch on the internet I was a uh, I've done live from here with Chris Teeley formerly yeah, Prairie Home Companion yeah. but that like, was like a clean performance was, yeah I mean man. there's no other way and believe me before I go on I'm just like oh my god because it's live and million literally a few million people hear it and you're just like, oh, what if I say the f bomb? Yeah. What if I freak out? So, you know, whatever. All the things that could possibly go wrong. Yeah. And, but, um, yeah. So, but you know, like for example, the thing about, uh, you know, the loaves and the fishes from the Bible that I did on that show really came from true thing of going to my going to church with my dad. And uh, that was the gospel or whatever, whatever reading it was. Um, It had to be first or second reading or gospel, one of the three. (laughs) Um, Did you ever did you ever write a joke or perform something or get to that point where like you realize your parents are going to have to see what you're doing? um, Yeah, he'll you know, he'll he'll say things sometimes you know i i guess i regret you know maybe in the first the first book we didn't talk about too much you know and i know it was maybe i wrote very i tried to write anyway very honestly about my mom dying which i think was hard mm-hmm. hard for any one of my family to read because you know it was pain for all of us so and then also, I went on a nude cruise for a public radio show, 
and talked about that and ended up writing about that in the book. So, you know, the first chapter, I don't know why I put it as the first essay. That was really dumb of me, but I put it first. And so my dad didn't really say a lot about the first book, but then the second book, which is way more about our relationship and, you know, in a very storytelling kind of way where it's like, real but you know i had fun with it and mm. exaggerated who he is you know as any as you would yeah and he you know he's kind of like whatever um <laughs> and, and but he wrote me a really nice note about that second book that was you know said it, i really enjoyed it and it was like reading a love letter uh over and over again so that really mm. That that really that's pretty cool. Meant a lot to me, yeah. and um, uh, he you know he wrote me an email, which even the fact that he wrote an email was a huge triumph. Mm. Uh, but um, you know, but then third book he he said, oh yeah, I read a little bit of it. I haven't gotten around to you know, but I think that's how it goes. If I can offer any cautionary tale, is all your friends and family will. Read, buy, and read the first book. Second mm-hmm. one, nah, maybe. Third, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Every, I have that experience for sure. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know, your first whatever record book, whatever the thing is, people, everyone's gonna be like, "Woo, you did it!" And then once it's like, "Well, this is what he's doing," you're mm-hmm. like, "All right, I I did the first one, whatever." Yeah. Second but, one for second one for me, it's like mom's like i like it better when you sing that way yeah yeah (laughs) it's just uh yeah my dad will say that with music like he'll he'll get a hold of a record by one of my bands and be like oh i really like this record i'm like you have that record Mm -hmm. you know uh so he he kind of he checks in my favorite though i'll tell you is i was on this tv show called comedy knockout and he, I was on it, you know, a bunch of times. And uh, it was, I think, still is on pretty regularly on True TV. And so he was like, oh, I was, I was flipping through uh, TV the other night. And I sh- turned on the one channel. And sure enough, there you are. And I was like, oh, you know, he's like, yeah, it was you and some other comedians talk, joking around about something. And uh and he's just like, not your best work. <laughs> but he was, you know, he was like, I thought it was pretty cool that I could turn the TV on. Mm-hmm. And there you are, you know. So he did, it was a bit of a compliment, but mostly kind of like, uh, just like, yeah, you know, whatever. But, you know, I don't think I would react well if my dad was just raving about everything I did. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh uh, you know, you don't really get that. You kind of just get acknowledgement that it happened, and that's cool. But they're more like, you know, both my my mom's gone, but uh, holy shit, as we're talking, you know, I realize tomorrow is the anniversary of my mother's death. That's so mm. weird. Mm. I don't know if I that would have i'm sure it would have but just as we're talking i was like holy shit that's tomorrow yeah 
11 years. So anyway, uh, my parents would never, they more impressed. Like when someone else mentioned something that I'm up to, they're like, you know, so this person said this or that or whatever. And they think that's cool. My favorite is before my mom died, probably in the last six months of her life. She called me up and she's like, um, Oh, you know, my friend, whoever it was, or a friend of hers or an aunt or whatever it was like, they said they saw you on HBO the other night. That's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. I, you know, and I was thinking like, oh, she's finally gets what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there was this long pause and she just says, uh, what's HBO? <laughs> like, because genuinely, yeah. you know, my parents didn't have those channels they just kind of knew that they were things you know yeah so yeah. uh that was kind of where it was at it kind of you creates know? an element of safety i would think knowing that your parents aren't going to be swimming in the waters that you are yeah yeah bring on the nudes nude scenes you know <laughs> <laughs> closed set no parents yeah so what is it about comedy and, and writing comedy that that aligns for you? Like, why are you why are you doing that? Um, I I think I just enjoy being silly. You know, I wouldn't say I'm the you know universally. I mean, I'm I have no doubt I'm some people's favorite. Not that many, <laughs> but you know. I think I just try to be the best Dave Hill I can be. And I like having fun and being silly. And I think comedy, writing, and performing, really everything, mm-hmm. I just kind of feel like I'm just kind of figuring it out, you know? And I'll probably always feel that way. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever be like, yep. Like, I, I, I remember once hearing or reading an interview with sting and he was saying like uh you know i pretty much can just sit down and write a hit like i just know how to do it mm-hmm. and i not that he was full of himself yeah i've never i've never met him yeah. i'm hurt i'm told he's a delight but uh you so know is I thought, that a, not not a sentiment you share <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't say that about anything that I do. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I know when I'm entertained, but I think, you know, as much as art is a way to communicate and express yourself, I think creating anything is like kind of just getting it to the point where it's smiling back at you. Not not in that you're like, yeah, we did it, this is great, but like, here's what we did today, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is cool for today. Uh, Tomorrow might be garbage, but right now it's cool uh, that the day began without it. And the day ended with this thing existing on a page or however it exists and whatever you're working on. I think it's cool to just end the day with something that wasn't there when it started, you know? And I think for me, that's, that's really why that's all I'm interested in. Um, I mean, I, I need to pay the bills, but I don't, there's nothing I do that I'm like, uh, here we go. 
bring on the money. You know, <laughs> I think anyone that's seen me or read or done it, it's anything is no one's going to be like, yeah, that guy's got mass appeal. Uh, you know, I just kind of do what I'm into mm-hmm. and that's really my goal. And I'm, I feel fortunate that, uh, I've been able to turn into how I pay the bills. Um, but if it weren't, I don't think it would change. Uh, I would still do, you know, I always say like, people are like, what do you, you know, I had a beer with a friend I hadn't seen in years. And he was like, asking me what I'm up to. And I'm kind of talking about my career mostly. And then he's like, well, what do you do for fun? Mm. And I said, well, that's the thing. Like, this that's what I my career is what I do for fun mm. everything you know I wasn't talking about my career because I was like I'm cool but you know I was more just you know everything that I do for my career is what I would do if I you know you know whatever drove a truck or something uh, I would come home and I would want to write and play music and paint and draw and Mm-hmm. and act like an idiot around the house and so i don't you know i don't play video games or uh do bong hits or whatever not that i'm again I'm very in favor of both of those things mm-hmm. but i just don't i don't do that stuff just because i'm busy yeah just stuff that falls by the wayside because you're enjoying what you're doing. yeah i'm ripping solos man that's that's fun yes i encourage anybody listening to to check out check check out the ripping solos yeah you just gotta rip some solo i do it every day i just kind of sit at home and rip some solos then i'll go work on a new book or whatever yeah so so yeah that's what i do for fun all it's all one thing you know yeah well there's a difference right between like work that's going to be completed and monetized and as a capital p project and work that doesn't have any attachment to a result sometimes like maybe yeah you have creative play versus a creative project and yeah do you distinguish between those i think the the capital it would be the thing that has a deadline Mm-hmm. and that I, there's a paycheck at the end of the side of that deadline. But that being said, I would still try to have as much fun as possible because I think that, you know, the best work comes when you're having fun Yeah. and when you're entertaining yourself. And, like, there, I can yeah. point to so many things yeah. that I've done just truly just being an, an idiot, uh to entertain myself with no idea, no intentions of showing it to anyone or mm. having it be anything more than it is in that moment that went on to be something far more than that. You know, there's a number of things, you know, nothing that went on to become, Oh, I was doing this thing about this mischievous yeah. boy. Have you ever seen the Simpsons? Nothing like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have you, ever, have you ever dropped anything because you weren't having fun? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, I had a radio show for a while and there are many things I enjoyed about it. And I, but I realized at one point 
I suspected, I should say, that I was like, I think I'm doing this because I think that I should do it, not because I want to do it. Yeah. And then I, I had a book deadline. Basically, my third book, the deadline was three months sooner than I realized. They Because uh-huh. they kept saying one date, and they're like, no, we meant you're done on this date. I thought mm-hmm. it meant you get it back again. And they're like, no, that's the drop-dead mm-hmm. date. And so I, all of a sudden the book was due like three months sooner. So I was like, oh, my gosh, you know. So I, I had to put the radio show on hold to finish the book. And then the very next week when the night of the radio show rolled around, I didn't have to do it. Mm. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Mm. I love not having to do this. And then I just when I finished the book, I was kind of like, oh, I should have quit that three years earlier. Yeah. I was doing it because I thought I should do it, you know? And uh, so now I'm kind of examining other things in my life and be like, what What other things do I think I should be doing? But, you know, mm. there's always things. Also with me, I think a lot of times I'll be doing one thing and I'll be like, oh, I should be doing this other thing. And then when I'm doing the other thing, I'll be like, I should be doing this other thing. Why am I doing, you know? Um... I should tell you, I I should make this call, but I can jump back on here if you just let me make this call. And so, hey, we were talking about, you know, you actually you were talking about how you've been getting into painting, and Mm -hmm. and this is correct. Yeah, and I'm wondering how you think about like work versus creative play. And like how you prioritize how you spend your time. I mean, ideally everything is creative play, you know, when you're at that state of, you know, flow or whatever. I Mm. I hate these cliched words like that that people throw around, but, um, you know, in terms of prioritizing things like, you know, I would say I try to get, if someone's like, I'm paying you to do this thing or write this thing or whatever, you know, I'll do that first. Mm. Um, but I also find, you know, doing things for fun, like painting and things like that, um, you know, free you up to do a better job on the other things mm. anyway, you know, sort of the equivalent of, I guess if I were like a, uh, a lawyer or something tackling a big case mm. and and then someone said let's go in the room with all the plastic let's go in the ball pit that we keep next to the legal library and bounce around in the ball pit or whatever i'm just guessing at what happens in <laughs> at law <laughs> do, firms. You, do you do you think that's a billable hour the the play part and should it be oh well i'm sure it is billed by the you know these lawyers but but you know Based on my experience, yeah, I'm sure they're billing. I'm sure they're billing for it. <laughs> but um, I have a super high energy dog that wants to play pretty much always, and um, so it's, it's always a constant struggle. Place, not a bad place to be, as far as a mascot. Yeah, yeah. So, but it leads to you know stress over who is going to try to get this dog some exercise Mm -hmm. um anyway um 
No, I, you know, I, I, for, I, I think it's all creative play ideally, as I was saying. And, um, but yeah, if someone's like, Hey, uh, this is due Monday at noon and I'm paying you X amount of dollars, then yeah, I'll make that, I'll make that job one. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I also find a lot of things that I've done creatively just for fun are the things that, you know, because they're coming from that place of, of really just enjoyment, those will be the things that will grow into something more, mm-hmm. you know, because, because I am just having fun and entertaining myself, you know? So I think it's a good, a good thing to do for any creative person to, to, to indulge in, in um, whatever stupid idea that comes as long as, as long as no one's maimed, you know, <laughs> I say, go, go for it. Cause a lot of times good things can come of that. So, yeah. Any, example, any examples come to mind to just something that had no like commercial agenda, but maybe ended up being a meaningful piece of work or valuable in some way. Yeah. I mean, I would say like nothing that went on to become, you know, like the Simpsons or anything like that. But, um, you know, I have this band, Witch Taint, that started off as a totally fictional thing that Mm -hmm. I just made up in, you know, like in the early 2000s because I was into Norwegian black metal and I thought it was really funny how seriously some of the bands (laughs) took it. And at the time, you know, Norwegian black metal, now I feel like, is pretty well known or in the, you know, in the cultural zeitgeist, you know, like the Virgin Atlantic airlines or whatever, like the safety video has like a black metal Does it? guy in the video, you know? So it's come pretty far obviously since then. And, but you know, in the early two thousands, that wasn't the case. Mm. And I, I just started emailing, this Norwegian black metal record label trying to get my completely made up band, which ain't signed to a record contract. And I was just doing it for my own uh-huh. entertainment. I'd never even heard of trolling. The intention wasn't like trolling. Cause it was just me being an idiot. And this guy just kind of being patient, emailing back. And it went on for months and I submitted like a horrible song and, wasn't really even sharing the emails with people, but I shared them with like a couple friends and then they shared them with other friends. And it, once the emails had run their course, a friend of a friend built a website with all the emails, you know, and like remove this guy's email address. And uh-huh. had it been a thing where it was like, Oh, look at, you know, I made a fool of this guy. I, I wouldn't have wanted anything to do with it, but mm-hmm. <laughs> really the, the guy doesn't look stupid. It's more, interesting how patient he is with this person yeah being an idiot which is me in this case um and anyway so i did that and and those emails became very popular for a time and i made witch taint t-shirts and then in 2017 um my friend trish nelson was like you know people have been encouraging me to like read the emails on stage and I was just kind of always busy and then finally I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so my friend Phil Costello and I 
did and um it became popular right away and you know the shows were selling out we sold out south by southwest and <laughs> you know from there went to like london we went to oslo and there were like actual like black metal guys at the show we did the Vakken open air fest which is the biggest metal festival in the world just standing there reading these emails and we'd like gradually added songs and then from there you know we were like let's take the joke even further and and um you know make a whole album which is mm. the witch taint album sons of midwestern darkness which came out Last April, we play, We were playing live shows as a full band at this point, but then the pandemic came. Mm-hmm. And sometime during all this, Malcolm Gladwell, who you know I've known for years, and he's been a big Witch Taint fan for a long time. You know, he he said, you know, he wanted. To, we did an episode of his broken record podcast that he does with Rick Rubin. You did. <laughs> awesome. Um, I know that that's a good it, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So there was an episode dedicated to black metal and witch taint. And I, mm. and I think it ran as an episode of revisionist history as well. And then as a result of that, he sort of had me be the resident metal go-to guy. And I did another episode about Pat Pat Boone's in a metal mood record. Oh yeah. And and then, you know, a production company, film and TV production company heard my episode about Witch Taint and got a hold of me and now you know, I have a movie in development on that subject. So that would be a good example, I think, of you know, something that was truly me. Uh, just being silly yeah. on my computer, not having any intention of anyone ever seeing it. And then, you know, over time. And Do you remember just, when the first email was sent? Like timeline? It would have been early 2000. I have a file of it somewhere. I mean, the emails that are like known at, if you go to the blackmetaldialogues.com and look there, mm-hmm. I think those would be from 2000. For, but there were ones that preceded that that weren't part of that uh, conversation where I was just kind of emailing random bands from this email database that was on like some black metal website, and I was yeah. just sort of so that was that, that probably went back as early as like two thousand two two thousand one or it's something. Crazy. Like that. So it's like by the time a movie comes out, you're talking like a twenty year arc. I mean, yeah, over, yeah, overnight, long overnight success, right? Yeah, exactly. But you know, so there's the thing, like you know that, and you know, um, I have a fake street gang, the dangerous snakes who hate bullshit, mm. which again is just silliness, and just started as me as a joke on Twitter, mm. but something about it resonated with people. And I was, you know, it's like 10 years ago and I was yeah. visiting my dad over the holidays and I was like, oh, I'm going to make a t-shirt. And anyone who wears the t-shirt is the head of their local, their local chapter. Uh-huh. And I you... did that. And... <laughs> What's that? How do you do that? Like in a way that's, you know, I guess sensitive. Um, 
What do you mean? Um, well, I'm trying to think of, I mean, I mean, you know, street gangs are, are reality and they're, you know, you know, oh, they're, yeah. you know, a component of disadvantage to that. Right. And all that. So like, how did you approach that in terms of, you know, feeling okay about it? And, you know, of, well, I think, you know, from the get go, the street gang was, you know, I made it clear the things that we were against were things like people talk really loud on their cell phones mm-hmm. and rap, rap sandwiches, which I think are a scourge on society. <laughs> um, so you kind of enforcers so, of, of a code. Yeah, d- d- you know, people, uh, double parkers, things like that. Just yeah. uh, things that anyone can agree on. Yeah. Or just uh, you know, need to be dealt with swift justice, and um, so it's just silliness, and I think it was, um, and also that, and you know, otherwise a message of kindness to all living things. Mm-hmm. As long as you weren't engaging in these infractions I just mentioned, and and like a similar infractions, so I think. Um, you know, it's just a, a silly thing for people to uh, wear a silly shirt. And so I made, I made a few hundred of those shirts. And then I, then I stopped because it was pain. And the joke was kind of on me because <laughs> I had to go to the post office. And you, when you go to the post office in New York City with, you know, a bunch of packages, they get really mad at you. So <laughs> I was like, that's it. The street gang's over. Yeah, And then... And a few months ago, I, I found a better way of doing it and I started it again and, um, been doing it again and, and, you know, it's the same thing. People have fun, buy the shirts and then I donate, um, you know, 10% of the money to no kid hungry, which cool. is a group that feeds, uh, kids in need of food. So it's a way to have fun and, and and raise some money uh, yeah. for for kids for well, hey, kids so so there I have this word written down you know uh, things I meant to ask you one is craft and I'm wondering like how your how craft does or doesn't play into your creative play when you're just kind of pursuing these things for fun as they build up. Not, I'm not sure. Well, you mentioned like, you know, when you take, when you take your freelance gigs and your writing, um, you, you want to do as good of a job as possible. And I know that in the comedy world and writing, right, there's like a lot of elements of self-education or getting better and, and development and getting the best joke possible, those kind Mm -hmm. of things. I'm wondering how much, if, any of that plays into your thinking when you're just playing? Um, well, I try to entertain myself and just do the best job I can. And there's some things I'm just not good at. You know, I'm not, you know, uh, like, I'm not like a good top, like none of my, comedy or writing really stems from like topical humor really Mm -hmm. it's not it's rare that i make a joke 
based on, you know, the headlines or whatever, mm-hmm. or, or based on, you know, things that we're all talking about. And it's, I kind of view my output creatively as like, sort of like the slime that might be left behind by a slug, you know, it's just sort of, it's part of the, <laughs> it just <laughs> is what it is and what what comes out what co- is what comes out it's not like you know i i honestly suck like if you were to like hand me the new york times and be like give me 10 jokes based on you know today's news they would be the just hmm. i could do it but it wouldn't be any joke that i would think is funny yeah um and to that and you know it's just that sort of humor like I tend to not really respond to anyway, even, you know, even watching the late night shows. Yeah. I'll be like, Oh, that's a good joke, but it's not like what tickles me. You know, that's, I'm, I like more silliness and absurdity and, uh, not so much making fun of stuff, even, even stuff that really deserves it, you know, like, you know, evil, you know, people mm-hmm. like the Trump family and anyone who in their realm deserves to be made fun of because they're pure evil. But, mm. that, you know, just my personal opinion. Um, Is it just but too, even, on, too on the nose to be entertaining? Yeah, it's just kind of... For me, I'm just more interested in silliness. And by the end of the day, I'm not really... I'm looking to escape the headlines not comment on them or hear mm-hmm. someone comment on them. So I'm more inclined to, you know, the, the things that I like are more just ridiculous. They're not, though some people do an amazing job, you know, certainly people that do a great, you know, Colbert, um, John Oliver, Sam B. I mean, those people hmm. I, I think are great and I'm super entertained by that watching them. Um, but I'm just saying in general that, yeah. you know, topical humor is not like what gets me like giggling, sure. generally speaking, unless well, it's done by total people who are amazing at it. Like, like people I just mentioned, like John Oliver, you know, mm-hmm. people like that. Well, how do you know when your own, when your own like jokes or bits are done? When they're done, like when they're oh, you yeah, mean they're when, ready when to, they're finished, or, yeah. or when I've had it? Yeah, when you're um, fin- when they're finished and ready to share. I think when they just uh, feel right, you know. I think you, you know, as far as live performance, just having to go on stage and you learn and you can feel it. That's part mm-hmm. of the energy of live performance. Mm. Uh, you can really you know, feel it. You can swipe at the energy in the air hmm. and, and feel like, um, and you can feel when you're full of shit, when the joke really doesn't mean anything to you, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes you go like, Oh, that seems like a joke. I'll try it out. And then you say it out loud and you can feel that it's not you. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, some of my favorite comedians, in the world, like I couldn't, you know, 
they're so amazing because they're them. Mm-hmm. But if I if I tried to say the things they're saying, it wouldn't feel right for me, and I I would do a horrible job. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. uh, couldn't 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 fake it. But I think that's what's cool about creativity is is you know it's just a, you know being the most yourself that you can be and and mm. when i think great artists are so much themselves that you know when someone if someone else were to try it it just doesn't work you know mm-hmm. or it doesn't work quite as well yeah um how long did it take you to learn that or figure that out I think I'm still learning it, you know. I I don't think I'll ever be uh, completely sad. You know, I don't ever, like, finish something and be like, oh, that's amazing. That could not be any better. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at what I just did. I'd never feel that way. There's, th- there's times when I have fun, and I'm like, oh, that was fun, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I'll just always... You know, I mean, depending on what day you ask me, I think I suck at everything that I do, Mm. you know, suck at writing, suck at comedy, suck at music, suck at playing the guitar. Yeah. yeah. And then other times I'm like, well, I'm pretty good, good enough for today. I meant to get through today. I meant to ask you kind of tangential to that topic i noticed that when you get on stage um you you tend to open with a self um kind of like a pat on your back or you know something that makes it sound like you're kind of got a big ego and i'm I'm wondering how much of that is to play for a laugh and how much of that is to ground you when you're going on stage i think it's both i mean i think it's yeah for a laugh but also kind of to ground me and also just kind of make fun of the absurdity of performance in general. You know, part of me, you know, coming from, you know, like Irish, not to harp on my background or whatever, but, Mm. you know, coming from like an Irish Catholic background where it's more like you're supposed to just like keep your head down and Mm -hmm. get a job and, think you're maybe just slightly better than garbage mm-hmm. um to get on stage in front of people and be like hey how's it going you know it's so far from that to me that so i kind of tend to make fun of that just the very idea that i'm doing it because there's a part of me that will always feel very silly about it and um and and then plus just the excuse me the um i do think you know that performance is you know when people walk on stage and some people can do this very genuinely be like hey how's everyone doing Mm -hmm. and it's a real thing and it's them and it's it's authentic but then a lot of times you see people like, hey, everybody, how's it going tonight? How's, it, how's table four or whatever? Yeah, yeah. And you just think like, oh, God. So I'm kind of making fun of that too, I guess. 
So I'm making fun of myself, but making fun of just the absurdity of the the job of walking on stage mm-hmm. and acting like that's a nor- nor- normal thing to do. Yeah. Because, um, you know, really, if everyone were well-adjusted and if the world were perfect, you know, we we, we would just all have some nice dinners together and chat and there would be no need, <laughs> no need for this absurd notion of people walking on stage talking yeah i suspect you know suspect suspect you're not wrong on that whatever piece looks like that might be close to it yeah yeah i mean because you know go ahead that's sort of the comedy i've always enjoyed the most anyway is is someone who just seems like they're going about their business of what they would be doing anyway if they were home alone, even if their thing is an absurd, you know, the reason I was always so attracted to people like Pee Wee Herman and Chris Elliott and Bobcat Goldthwait Mm. and Andy Kaufman, like, you know, when I was a kid is, I was just like, obviously those people were, you know, playing characters, but I was just like, they seem insane to me. And they seem like if they weren't on letterman or whatever they would be just home in a room alone doing this mm-hmm. and those are always the performers that were mo- the most appealing to me mm. Mm. you know not the ones that came out and be like hey everybody with the highbrow intellectual jokes and the subtext and yeah though i do like that i mean you know there's people that are amazing i mean you know the things that i'm sort of complaining about there's people that are absolutely amazing at that i mean certainly dick cavett who's one of my favorites Hmm. a hero and and uh a close personal friend if i may name drop yet again during our conversation (laughs) he you know he was certainly himself or some version of himself would you know would walk out and was a host and you know was amazing at that so that would be the other you know the other side of yeah. you know what someone like Wee herman did yeah but they all have us they have, have like this self-consistent presence they just show yeah. up and they're them whatever that is yeah. yeah yeah well i know we're pressed for time so i wanted to ask for people who want to know more about you how can they find you and what's maybe the next thing or last thing we should be looking out for well, people can find me. I have a website that I'm bad at updating at DaveHillOnline.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on Instagram at Mr. Dave Hill at Mr. Dave Hill. Um, I'm on Facebook, various places, I guess. Um, though I don't don't really use Facebook much. Um, and in terms of uh, right now, I have a new, new-ish comedy album, The Pride of Cleveland, mm-hmm. uh, that people can find wherever you get albums, streaming and whatnot. And um, I believe it's going to be out, uh, the special version, you know, the video will be out, I think, later this year for people to see. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you could read any of my books, Tasteful Nudes, the first one, Dave Hill Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the second one. Those are both essay collections. Mm-hmm. And Parking the Moose is 
about my exploring my Canadian roots mm. and um and then I'm in the upcoming movie Drunk Bus which is out this spring mm-hmm. and some other things you'll be seeing me I'm not sure what stuff I'm allowed to mention just yet some things have just shot but um yeah but yeah if I'm gonna follow I'm, you they'll find out mm. and and also on the play side of things, the good sort of an extension of my artwork, I've started a clothing line. Oh yeah, as all zealous celebrities should, I started a clothing <laughs> line uh-huh. called. If you go to the dot com, my friends at Secondhand Shorty and I are working together and have a line called Bunny, which is named after my mother. Mm, cool, and it it will be a line of dresses at first and then maybe grow from there, but it'll be all using my, my patterns, you know, my artwork. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm excited about that and who knows what will happen, but that's one crazy harebrained thing, but that I've come up with during the pandemic. But I think it's also, um, you know, probably the best example I could tell you of just uh, mm. having fun and, uh, and just seeing what happens. Just seeing there what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that. See what happens with Dave Hill. Sure. Well, Dave, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.